Welcome to Evangel Church, where we believe in seeing changed lives changing lives. Let me ask you something. Have you ever lost something? I'm not talking about the remote control or your keys. I'm not talking about your mind when your kids keep you up at night. I'm talking about something precious, something so valuable that literally when you realized it was gone, your heart sank into your stomach. Do you know what I'm talking about? Something that held incredible value to you. And its absence literally took your breath away. I can remember whenever I was seven going on eight years old, I was over my aunt's house. And my Aunt Dawn, uh, she was great. And we'd always be hanging out there during the summer and different times of the year, especially uh, on Easter growing up. That's where I'd be at Aunt Dawn's house, um, having a great time. Well, on one day, we were outside having a picnic. We had had all the food. We were hanging out at the picnic table, running around and playing. And at the end of the meal, as my aunt was cleaning up, she looked down at her hand and she realized something was missing that took her breath away. It was the diamond from her wedding ring. This was gone, completely gone. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Maybe you've lost the ring or you've lost something of that value. This represented her marriage. This represented so much for her. And so she looked all around and we all looked all around. We all stopped what we were doing. We scoured the house and we went out. We looked everywhere, but we realized we had spent most of our day outside, not on a patio, not on concrete, in the grass. And this wasn't no two, three carat ring, a uh, diamond. You know, it's a tiny diamond. So we looked everywhere. And after about an hour, she had to resolve to that fact that it's gone and I'm not finding it. Have you ever felt that way where something has been lost and you, you knew it wasn't coming back? There's something you had hoped in and, and, and ho- wanted to treasure and hold on to and now it's just a memory. And so for that time, it was a memory. Well, for me as a child, I was inquisitive, to say the least. Most of the time, that got me in trouble. Uh, On this day, it didn't. I decided that I wanted to go out and take another look. Um, And so I went outside, and I'm just looking in the grass, and I'm running my hands around, and I'm up on the picnic table. And within about five minutes, I come walking in, and I open my hand to my aunt. I said, is this the diamond you were looking for? My family still talks about it today. I called my aunt last night to wish her a happy Easter. And I was like, do you remember the diamond? She's like, yeah, I remember that. I can't believe you found it. She said, you're running your finger across the picnic table, you said. And there it was, just popped out of a crack. And you brought it in. You know what I realized? If I hadn't gone to take another look, that would have been lost forever. I want to bring you a message today entitled, Take Another Look. Because on Easter Sunday, we got to take a look to see that we might find something that would change everything in our lives if we're willing to take another look there's something waiting for every one of us this easter but i don't know that we all see it some of us think that hope is gone some of us think that there is no hope beyond death some of us have been walking through life and we think we're here in church today because this is the religious thing to do we're just going to hear a story i invite you today would you take another look with me at an empty tomb and a risen savior that you would see something that would change everything for you. So let's take another look together. If you have your Bibles open with me to Luke chapter 24, we're going to be in Luke's gospel chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible with you, um, you can read all the verses up here on the screen this morning as we dive into God's word together. 
This is a story about what transpired on the first Easter Sunday. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. The beginning part of Luke 24 recounts what happened at the empty tomb and how the angels had announced that Jesus isn't here. He is risen. He said, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Jesus is alive. And there were many that got to celebrate that day, but there were a few travelers that were on a road. They were on the road to Emmaus, and we're going to learn about them today. And in fact, we're not just going to learn about them. Church, I want to invite you, will you walk that journey with me today? Let's get onto the road to Emmaus, and let's walk, and let's learn a lesson walking in the shoes of these men who were heading to this small, obscure town. But they saw something when they were willing to take another look that changed everything for them. Look what it says here in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. It says, Now, the same day, this is the same day that Jesus rose from the dead, the first Easter Sunday, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they were traveling, they were talking to each other about everything that had happened. Now, what is the everything that had happened? Well, it wasn't just that Jesus had died on Good Friday, that he he had suffered, and that he'd been buried. They knew that part of the story But something took place on that Sunday, the third day. There was the women that went to the tomb of Jesus. They went because they wanted to bring some spices to anoint his body. You see, for those women, the last time they saw Jesus, for Mary and some of them, they weren't too happy with the way that he looked. He wasn't the same man that they had seen that had gone and healed the blind and and relieved the sick. Had even brought the dead to life. He was a man that had been stripped down, a man who had been beaten, a crown of thorns placed on his head. He was a man who they spat upon and they insulted and they, they cursed. And, and so they didn't like the way they saw Jesus. And he's taken off the cross and he's put into a borrowed tomb. So they went on that third day to bring some spices, some oils, some, some things to anoint his body. They didn't like the way they'd seen him. They wanted to take another look and see him once more. But when they got to the tomb, he wasn't there. And that's when they heard the angels say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is risen. He's alive. And they came running back to tell everyone that Jesus is alive. He hasn't died. He's here. He's on. But these two men, they're on the road to Emmaus. And they're talking about this. They're wrapping their head around it. They're talking about the reports of the women. They're talking about all these things, but they're heading on the road. They've left Jerusalem. And as they're on that road, heading towards Emmaus, something happens. Jesus shows up, and he begins to walk with them. Look what it says in verse 15. It says, while they were walking and talking and discussing these things, Jesus himself came up and walked alongside of them. Verse 16 but they were kept from recognizing him. I want you to know that as I looked over my life, I've realized that there were some journeys that I have been walking and Jesus was with me, even though I wasn't recognizing him. These men, they're walking a journey and he's literally with them in the flesh and they don't even realize it. It's funny sometimes, we can become blind to what's right in front of us. And they were. They didn't see it was Jesus. Do you know why they didn't see it was Jesus? Because that's the last place he should be. He's in a grave buried in a tomb. And there he is walking alongside of them. And as they're walking along, Jesus begins to ask them a question. 
He said, why, um, what, what are you discussing as you, as you walk along? The Bible says that they stood still and their faces were downcast. See, these men had hoped in Jesus. They had followed Jesus. They were there. They were there when he healed the sick. They were there when Lazarus came out of the tomb. They were there on Palm Sunday as the people all gathered in Jerusalem and shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were were then there on Good Friday as Jesus, who had been humiliated, dejected, and now sentenced to death to be crucified on a cross. They were there as the world turned their back on him and as the followers scattered, they were there maybe at a distance as Jesus died for the sins of humanity. They were there in mourning over those next few days. But there was a moment that came on that third day that it was over. It was over. It's like my aunt, you know, an hour passed. It's done. It's gone. There's no hope that Jesus is ever coming back. That's lost. Have you ever reached that place in your life about something where it just has become hopeless? Some of you have walked into this place and you're carrying some hopeless situations with you. There are some things that have been going on in your life and you're in that that exact season. They were dejected and they were downcast. It broke through the facades. They couldn't put on a smile and pretend that everything was okay. They wore it on their sleeve. Have you ever been in that place before where you've been struck with such a blow in your life, something that has just taken your breath away? You've suffered a loss. You've suffered a pain or some kind of trial, and you can't smile through the pain of it. When people see you, they can see you're wearing it. You know what I'm talking about, church? They're carrying that. I mean, that's what Jesus meant to them. What's more? is that as all the rest of the disciples and the 11 and Mary, they're all in Jerusalem, these men are on the road to Emmaus. They're on the road heading in the opposite direction away from Jerusalem. Do you know why? Because for them, they had made up their mind there was nothing worth sticking around in Jerusalem for. Jesus was dead. Hope was sealed up in a tomb with the man whom they had followed, the man whom they had hoped in. Have you ever been to a place where you've been disappointed by something? Some of you, you're here today, it's kind of a miracle because you've been disappointed by religion. You've been disappointed by church. You've been disappointed by things like this. And, and, and for you, you're like, yeah, you know, none of it's real. I don't buy it. That's what these men are doing. They're, it's just a story to them. And they're walking amazed by what's happened. They had been there among them. Something happens. I want you to look back with me at chapter 11. I'm sorry, at verse 11 of chapter 24. It says there that when Mary and the women ran back, from the tomb, and they announced to the followers of Jesus what had happened. Here's what it says. It says, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Here's what I ask myself today, and I ask you the same thing. Who were the they who did not believe them? I could tell you two of them, Cleopas and the other man who's walking on the road to Emmaus. They're there because as Jesus is talking to them, they go on. They go on to say, as they're downcast, they said, you must be the only person in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what's going on. Now, here's what they don't realize. They don't realize that Jesus is the only one who does realize what's going on. He's the only one that gets it. They're like, who are you? You don't even know what's going on. You didn't hear about Jesus? So what they proceed to do is they proceed to tell Jesus about Jesus. They're like, oh, you didn't know this guy, Jesus. <laughs> Imagine what the Lord's doing at this moment. They said he was amazing. He's a prophet. He 
He healed. He did all these incredible things. And they said, and we hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. That's what they said. We hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And they said, but it's been the third day now and all hope is gone. See, on the third day, they believed in ancient Near Eastern culture that the soul of a person could stick around for up to three days. They didn't have the modern technology that we would have today. So for some, they would pass away. But within those three-day window, they'd come back to life. And they would believe, well, the spirit just didn't leave and they came back. So they believed that it was possible for resurrection even within those three days. So they're watching and they're waiting. But the third day has now come. The time has expired. Their hope is at its lowest. Some of you, I want you to know something. You're in that place. You're in that season. Maybe it's not three days. Maybe it's three years. Maybe it's three decades. But what you've been carrying is very dead in your life. You feel it's hopeless and it's gone. I want you to know something. If you're in a third day season, what we learn in the Bible is the third day is a great day for a resurrection. It's a great day for new life to spring up. It's a great day for something you would not anticipate to happen right in front of you. This is what happens It's the third day. Their hope is gone. And they didn't believe Jesus. The Bible says that the women were there and they said they didn't believe him because it sounded like nonsense. But in verse 12 of chapter 24, it says, but Peter, he ran and ran to the tomb and he bent over. He saw the strips lying in there and he wondered with amazement what had happened. He didn't see Jesus. So two things happened, two Different groups of people go in two directions. When they hear the story about the resurrection of Jesus, they run towards the tomb or they run out of town. Which one are you? Have you leaned in to look and take another look and say, I got to see again? Is it true? These men, they made it up in their minds. It wasn't worth taking another look. It was worth just getting out of town for them. But Jesus meets them on the road and he walks a journey with them. And they said, these women are crazy. They amaze us. You know, these women, they're telling us all these stories about that they saw him and, but it couldn't have been. And then someone went and looked and they didn't see anything. So these men, they just got out of town and they're on the road. Where is Emmaus? Nobody knows on a map. They can't find it. But here's what we know. It isn't about the destination at all. It doesn't matter where Emmaus is. It was an inconsequential place. What matters is the direction that they were heading. They were heading away from Jerusalem. They were heading on the wrong direction, on the wrong road. You know why? Because they got to that point where it was just worth throwing in the towel and giving up. Have you ever been in that place in life where it's just been worth giving up? You just felt like, man, I'm just done. I just want to walk away from it all. I want to walk away from my job. I want to walk away from this. Some of you, you want to walk away from your family. You're just at that place. It's a tipping point. It's a breaking point. You don't know what to do. They're at that point. They're walking. They don't know where they're going or what they're going to find at the end of it. But they're like, let's just go back there. Maybe we can find some solace there. What you know is we're on that journey. Jesus meets us often. He meets us when we're going in the right direction or the wrong direction. And Jesus begins to speak to them. After they said everything, Jesus says to them, how could you, how could you say these things? Look with me in verse 25. Look what it says here in Luke chapter 24, verse 25. He said to them, how foolish are you and slow to believe all the prophecies that have been spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory. In verse 27, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them everything that was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Now, for those of you that call Evangel home, this sounds familiar, huh? We've just been through a series of eight weeks 
called history. And you know what we did? We started with Moses, and we walked through all the scriptures looking for everything that Jesus had according to himself. What we've done is we've traced through there because when you look at it once, you see the story that's unfolding. You see history, the history of God's people. But when you take another look, right, church? We see it's his story. It's Jesus. He's showing up everywhere. This is what happened on the road. Jesus started. And I heard one scholar say it like this. He said, if you could bring me back to anywhere in the entire Bible. He even says, even the empty tomb, even, you know, at the cross, at the flood. He said, none of those places. Put me right there in the middle of the road to Emmaus. Do you know why? Because I want to hear the word of God talk about the word of God. I want to see the word of God tell me where he is and where he shows up. He said, that's the best place you could ever find yourself is right there, seeing Jesus. So you have these two men trying, trying to tell Jesus about Jesus. But then you see the word tell them about the words. <laughs> Share the word of God with them. And something began to burn inside of them. You know why? Because Jesus is the word of God. It says in John chapter 1, verse 1, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there in the very beginning. Jesus was the one who was there when the universe was spoken into existence, and now the Word of God is opening the Word and showing where he is on every page, all throughout the entirety, not just the section we read, the first five books, but it says Moses, which is the law, and all the prophets. He walked through and pointed at every prophecy in every place. And as they're walking, they're getting a Bible study of all Bible studies, church. They're learning the word from the word. He's showing it to them. Something's burning inside of them. They encountered something on that journey they never anticipated. For them, and I know you and I have done this as well, we'll go into our phone and we'll set our GPS to say, I'm starting at home, current location, and I'm heading to wherever. For them, they didn't have a GPS, but in their hearts, they said, we're going from Jerusalem to Emmaus, but they were also saying we're going from hope to hopelessness. We're going from life towards death. We're accepting the death of Jesus. We're going this way. What they didn't realize is when Jesus met them on the journey, he had a whole different coordinate. He said, I'm going to bring you from religion to relationship. I'm going to bring you from a place of knowing about me to a place of knowing me for yourself. From a place of hearing the story to seeing me with your own eyes. I want to tell you that we're taking that same journey today. My prayer for you has been that we would walk together, church, on a journey from religion to relationship. And I want to tell you, this isn't a talk. This isn't a time. We're not here just to be about religion. I'm here to introduce you to a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. And that's the journey that these men walked on. And there's something that happened there. There's something they encountered as Jesus opened the scriptures to them, as he met them and walked with them, that brings people from a place of religion to a place of relationship. It's two words. We find those two words if we look a little further in John's gospel, chapter 1, verse 14. We said in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God and was God. Here's what it says in John 1, 14. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This shows how Jesus came from heaven, was born into this world. He became flesh and walked and lived among us. There are historical records that point to the fact that a man named Jesus of Nazareth lived a very real life and he died a very real death. The only thing that's different about him is that he rose from the dead on the third day. No one else has done that. But go back to that verse here. Look at the second part of it. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of what? grace and truth what they encountered on that road was not just a traveler they couldn't recognize it was the grace and truth of God 
that flowed out of the life of Jesus Christ, risen from the grave. I want to talk to you for a moment about the grace and truth of God. I want us to take another look at the grace and truth of God that is seen in the person of Jesus Christ because there's nothing that will open your eyes like experiencing the grace and truth of God for yourself. Let's talk about grace. What is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is a gift. A gift can't be earned. A gift is given and received. And so grace is given to us not when we deserve it or when we've earned it, but quite contrary, when we've done nothing. We bought my daughter a lot of gifts before she could ever earn them. She had a lot of things. All she needed to do is exist, and she was able to get and receive all those gifts. I want you to know you're a child of God. He's made you in his image, and he has a gift for you. It's a gift of his grace. All you have to do is receive it. You don't have to earn it. So many other religions will tell you. See, this goes counter to this idea of religion because what a religion says is this, you got to earn your place. you got to earn your keep. You want to talk about eternity? you got to earn your stay. If you do enough good, then you can get in. If you can earn enough good, then you can make it to the other side. Now, some religions would say it's just fate. It's just a game of chance. You just roll the dice and let's see what happens. Maybe you'll be one of them. It's all about building the ladder up to God up to heaven, up to that place where you're right with God. It's about doing enough good works. But grace runs in the face of that. Grace is incredible. Grace is God showing his extravagant love. He said, you'll never make it to me. And so you know what he did? The word became flesh and came to us. Jesus came to us for that very reason because we can never get to God on our own. So God sent his son, the Bible says. And Jesus came. He lived a very real life. He died a very real and painful death for you and for me. But all of that was a picture and an expression of the grace of God. But then when Jesus is risen from the dead, you ready? It's Easter Sunday. He's risen, he's alive. And of all the places he could be, they go to the tomb, he's not at the tomb, and they're looking for him, and they're wondering, where would he be? Who would he reveal himself to? Would it be those who waited in Jerusalem patiently for him? Would it be those that stood by him at the foot of the cross? Jesus shows up to a group of two men who are dispirited and disheartened, who are distraught and who have given up. And they're walking on the road in the wrong direction. This is a picture of God's grace. I want you to know something today. That God doesn't just meet us. Jesus doesn't just come for those who are on the right road going in the right direction. But he's a God who meets you on the road, even if you're heading in the wrong direction. That's a picture of the grace of God. And what religion can sometimes do is it underestimates the reach of the grace of God. I want you to know something today. You're not too far for the reach of God. You're not too far for the reach of his grace to you today. There's nothing you could do to separate yourself from the love that he has for you. And I want you to know you're not too far. Some of you think you're too far. You're down that road. You're long gone. I want you to know you're only a heart's turn away. Take another look. Because Jesus might be there right next to you, tapping on your heart. I think that's why you're here today. Because although you're in this place, you're on the wrong path. But I want you to know you're not too far from the reach of God's grace. These two men, they were heading in the wrong direction. They had given up their hope. They were dejected and downcast. But Jesus was walking with them. He said, this is a picture of my grace. Now the truth of God that was experienced, the truth that they experienced in that moment was a truth that changed their life forever. It was a truth that changed them from the inside out because they experienced the living word of God giving them the word. They looked for the truth and they saw the truth of who God was. It wasn't an opinion. It was Jesus opening the scriptures and allowing them to see him on every page. I'm gonna invite Pastor Rick up at this time. And as they came and saw that, they experienced the truth of God. 
Do you know this world talks a lot about truth? But truth is a very subjective thing in the world around us today, isn't it? Truth isn't about truth. It's about my truth or your truth. We can sit around and have these incompatible truths and say, well, that's just my truth. And I just bought into my, my truth. And, and that's like lowercase t truth, okay? That's based on your opinion, not science fact or any of these other things. It's based on your opinion. This is my truth, how I feel. But when I talk about the grace and truth of God, it's capital T truth. It's the truth that founded the universe. It's the truth for all mankind once for all. There's an incredible story about a man about 25 years ago, a little longer than that. His name was Lee Strobel. You may have heard of him. He was a award-winning journalist for the Chicago Tribune, but he was also a diehard atheist. He didn't believe that God was real. He didn't believe any of the story. He'd heard a little bit about it. He lived unto himself. That's all he cared about. His work consumed him. Didn't even have much time for his family. Well, one day Lee comes home and his wife tells him something that caught him off guard to say the least. She said, Lee, I went to a church and I've now become a follower of Jesus Christ. He's my Lord and my Savior. He's forgiven me of my sins and he can do the same thing for you. Will you come to church with me? He all but laughed, but he came to church because his wife asked him. And as he listened, he heard the story of the gospel and he set out on a journey. It took him a year and nine months. He said, I'm a journalist. I study this. I get to the truth. That's what I've done for a living. What I'm going to do is I'm going to comb through the entire story about Jesus. I'm going to look into historical documents outside of the Bible. I'm going to just commit the next year. And as long as it takes, I'm going to get to the truth of it. Because if it's not true, then I need my wife to be, you know, to know that. And I need to make sure that I can let everyone know and I can stand on that. He said, if it is true, I need, to, I need to know. I need to understand. So he set out on this journey as an atheist studying everything in the Bible, outside of the Bible, historical records. And he got to the end of his journey. And as he got to the end of his journey, he realized something. It was on November 8th, 1991. He realized this in his own words. In light of the torrent of evidence flowing in the direction of the truth of Christianity, it would require more faith for me to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Because to be an atheist, I would have to swim upstream against all the evidence pointing towards the truth of Jesus Christ. And I just can't do it anymore. I was trained in journalism and law and I wanted to respond to the truth. So on that day, I received Jesus Christ as the forgiver and the leader of my life. That's for a man who said, I needed to find the truth. And I found Jesus. Do you know why? Because Jesus said this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. And Jesus said in John 8, 32, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. His life has been changed forever. He went on to write a book that's a New York Times bestseller that was just released as a movie in theaters called The Case for Christ. In there, he's exploring bit by bit the account of Jesus. Now he truly is the son of God. On that journey, on that day, these two travelers, they experienced the grace and truth of God in Jesus. And it opened their eyes that when they took another look, they could see him clearly. I want to finish up the story on what happened here. As they continued on the journey, in verse 29, it says that Jesus, in 28, that Jesus pretended that he was going to keep going when they approached the village. And Jesus pretended he was going to go a little bit further. I want you to catch this and not miss it. 
But they urged him strongly, stay with us because it's nearly evening. It's almost over. And so he went in and stayed with them. Check out this in verse 28. Jesus kept as if he was going to go a bit further. And then they invited him in. I want you to know something. He's not forcing his way into anyone's home, anyone's life, or anyone's heart. It requires an invitation. Would you invite Jesus in? And these men, something clicked in them. They experienced the grace and truth of God and they invited Jesus into their home. And what happened when they did that is he changed everything. He just took over. As he sits down at the table, he takes some bread, the Bible says. He took some bread. You know, Jesus said in John 6, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. I've come down from heaven for you. He said, this is my body that was broken for you as he sat with his disciples at the Last Supper. And I don't know what it was about that, but when Jesus, the bread of life, took the bread at the table and he broke it, in an instant, their eyes were open, the Bible said, and they realized that it had been Jesus all along, walking with them, talking with them, and being with them. Something happened when he broke the bread in their sight that they could finally see. They took another look and they saw that it was Jesus. I want you to know something today. This is a day where I'm believing that as you've come and as you've heard and as you've been in God's presence that you have taken another look and that you'll see Jesus is there. He's been pursuing your life and he has a plan and a purpose for you. Don't run from it. Turn to him. This is what happens when we have that kind of encounter with Jesus. We move from a place of religion to relationship. The difference between religion and relationship is a big one. It's just one word. But here it is. Religion is knowing about God. Relationship is knowing God. There's something very different about those two things. It's about knowing about him, knowing the story about him. These men knew the whole story. Yeah, Jesus died. He did this. He did this. But he came to have a relationship with them. He broke through the story and got to the heart of the matter. And before long, their hearts began to burn within them. They knew this was the truth. They knew this was the grace of God. And in an instant, Jesus disappeared. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us when he opened the scriptures to us on the road? And what happens when that takes place? It reorients our lives. Look what it says in verse 33. It says that at once they ran back to Jerusalem. They joined with all their friends. They got up and they returned at once. They found the 11 and they assembled together so they could say, it's true. He is risen. He is alive. That's what happens. They went from going in the wrong direction. The grace and truth of God met them and led them home. For some of you today, today's the day. Today's the day. Welcome home because God's welcoming you home. Because today's the day that you're going to move from that place of religion to relationship. It's a journey that I walked and I had no idea. I was an atheist when I grew up. I didn't believe God was real. I didn't believe that he existed. I didn't believe he had a plan for me. This was just a story. But I was invited to a service at a camp for teenagers in the middle of Pennsylvania. And it was there that I heard the word of God again. And I decided on that day just to take another look. And when I took another look, I saw the truth of Jesus Christ. I saw that he was Lord and Savior, that he forgave me of my sins. And in that moment, my heart burned within me. And I realized that this was the truth, that I must come to Jesus, that I must accept and invite him into my life. And when I did that, it changed me forever. I promise you, 
I pinch myself when I get up to preach because I'm like, I should not be up here. I'm the last person that should be up here. But I want you to know that today you might be thinking you're the last person that should be in this church, but God has a plan for your life and he loves you with a love that you have no idea about. It's not an accident you're here. It's not an accident that you're alive. Somebody in this room today, you think you're an accident. You think you're a failure. You think that everyone has forgotten about you, that no one loves you. God's interrupting this service right now to tell you he loves you and he has a plan for you. He loves you in a way that you can't imagine and he wants to lead you home. Come home and stop fighting it. Take another look at him and see Jesus alive and risen. Would you bow your heads and bow your hearts with me today? What happened for these men is what's happening in the hearts of some today as we've been on the the road to Emmaus. That he's opened your eyes. These two men weren't the only two men to have their eyes opened by Jesus. Mary showed up at the tomb. She's sitting there crying now because she hasn't found Jesus and he's not there and then Jesus shows up but she thinks he's a gardener and she starts saying to him please sir tell me where you placed Jesus tell me where you've taken him tell me where he is and she's so frantic and frazzled and in a moment this is what he did he just said Mary he just whispered her name just spoke her name in that moment when he called her name her eyes were open and she saw it was Jesus he's here to whisper somebody's name today in the recesses of your heart to tell you that he knows you and he remembers you and he loves you And he wants to be in your life and have you walk with him and experience forgiveness, experience newness of life. But just like those travelers, you have to invite him in. It's a gift that God has given. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to invite him into your life. You have to say yes to Jesus. So I'm gonna lead everyone today in a prayer doing just that. It's a prayer where you're saying yes to Jesus. It's a prayer where you're inviting Jesus into your life to be Lord of your life. There's nothing magical about this prayer, but it's about you acknowledging your need for him. It's about you acknowledging that you've sinned and that you've fallen short, that you believe that he died and that he rose again and you're committing to follow him. So church, I'm gonna invite all of us, even in our overflow and online, let's all say this bottom of our heart for the benefit of those who are saying it today for the first time. If you're saying this for the first time today or you're returning home because you've run away from God, today's a brand new day for a resurrection in your life. Pray with me. Repeat these words. Let's all do it together. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life and forgive me of my sins that separated me from you. I believe that you came and that you died and that you rose again for me. Come in and lead and guide my life. Thank you for your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed for just one more moment, just bow your heads in the quietness of this moment. I want you to acknowledge if you've said that for the first time or you've run from God in your home now, that you would just take one more step to say, yes, that was me. I want to have the opportunity just to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to ask you to stand. But I'm going to ask you if in just a moment you'll just lift your hand up. Now, I know that that might feel like a big step for some, but don't be afraid in this moment. This is the greatest decision you've ever made. Don't let fear get in the way of that. But if this is a day that you said, today's the day that I've given my life to Jesus. Today's the day that I've taken another look. If that's you, just lift your hand right above your head right now. If that's you, come on, lift your hand up. Praise God. If that's you, just lift your hand right above your head. Oh, praise God. I see hands going up all around. If that's you in the balcony, just lift your hand up in this moment. Don't be afraid or ashamed of this decision. It's something worth celebrating. Heaven's rejoicing right now. 
just another moment, if you said yes to Jesus, if you've been far from him and today's the day that you're recommitting your life to him, then I want you to lift your hand up right now in this moment. Don't worry about the person on your left or your right. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If that's you, lift your hand up right now in this moment. Praise God. Praise God. Hands going up all around. Church, can we celebrate what God's doing in hearts and lives today? Thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you just come and meet those that have responded to you today by the power of your resurrection. Give them a brand new life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. God's so good. We hope you have been challenged and blessed by this message. For more information, visit us at evangelchurch.com.